Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. And now the September 3rd message titled, The New Ecclesia, Part 1. A feast for your spirit. Good morning, family. This is the day that the Lord has made, and uh, let's just take a little while this morning and rejoice and be glad in it. All is good. Things are moving along. I hope they're well for you and your part of the world. It's still hot here in Houston, Texas. I think we're going to get a break in this heat pretty soon. All right. This morning, we're going to get into some things that I think are really current in what the Spirit of God is doing in the earth today. If I were to put a title on this teaching this morning, actually, it's going to be a two-part teaching. I would, I would title this The New Ecclesia. The New Ecclesia. And we're going to unwind this. I want to talk to you about some things that I'm just seeing breaking on the horizon. And they're not fully here yet, but I can just see it beginning to take place, uh, not only in the natural, but in the hearts of people. So I want to begin this morning with a familiar verse verses of scripture from Matthew chapter 16 that we probably have all heard in church. We've heard the pastor teach on them before, but we're going to look at it in a little bit different light, a little bit of a new light this morning. So I'd like for you really to listen to this carefully this week and next week as well, because we're going to show two sides of the same coin. I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about in just a couple of minutes. But let's just get a little bit of foundation if we can from Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, down through verse 18, the new ecclesia. It says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men, natural perception, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Notice he said Son of Man. So he's, he's relating this to his humanity. Who do they say I am? Some said, some they said, say you're John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, I was going to move this into another dimension. They have made a reference uh, to men that were I don't want to say they were religious, they were prophets, but they represented God. So they, men were seeing Jesus in the light of what they had known previously. So he said, well, who do you say that I am? Here's our boy Peter. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. So what Peter saw was different than what men said about Jesus. And what Peter said could only come by revelation. That's what, that's what Jesus said. Then he goes on into verse 18. And I also say unto you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this solid foundation of revelation, I will build my church. He was not saying he's going to build it on Peter. I'm sorry, my Catholic friends. He did not build the church on Peter. He, he built the foundation on the revelation that Peter had. And he said, this is, this is what we're going to build on. Then, he's, then he uses an interesting church here, an interesting word. He said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the, the gates of death, gates of darkness, will not prevail against it. And I give to you the keys of the kingdom. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Man, we could spend a long time on those five or six verses right there from Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus is saying basically that revelation trumps natural vision. What the Father shows you about Jesus trumps what you may hear about who Jesus is in the natural. So we're going to get into some, some elements of that this morning. And this, this morning, we're going to look more at what men say about the church and how they build the church. And then next week, I'm going to call this bad news religion this morning. And then next week, we're going to look, look at the flip side, the good news religion. But what's going on in the earth today, I think, is a radical shift in the church world taking place. And why I'm bringing this to the digital cathedral is this radical shift that is going on in the world of the church you're part of it. You're absolutely a foundation in this. The evangelical tower of Babel is crumbling, and it's crumbling fast. The building where men meet every week, just like they did in the temple in the, in the Old Testament, and they sacrificed animals for forgiveness of sins. Men meet in buildings today, and they go through all kinds of rituals and ceremonies and confessions and, and crying and begging to get their sins forgiven. So it's somewhat the same. Now Jesus brings in a word here. He said, I will build my church. And the word church that he uses there is the word ecclesia. You probably are familiar with that word. You've probably heard it. Ecclesia technically means a gathering of those that have been summoned. And that's exactly what's going on here at the Digital Cathedral. This is a gathering of people who have been summoned from all over the world. And why he has summoned us and not other people, I don't know. I, I, I talk to the Lord about that a lot. I say, what the heck, why, why, why did you pick me? What about all my, my brothers and sisters here to Digital Cathedral? You've picked them out from Europe, from Africa, from Australia, from almost every state of the union represented here at the Digital Cathedral throughout the week. People view it from around the world. Why, why have you summoned us from everybody that is out there, but that's the ecclesia. And there is a common there is a common denominator that I think is happening among us, and that is we're getting a revelation of the authentic, of what the real Jesus is actually all about. And it's nothing like we learned out at the church building. So this this church that has been built by man, where men gather and they worship a God that is outside of them. They ask this God outside of them to forgive their sins, to come and bless them with his presence. And it's absolutely contrary, I think, to what Jesus said the ecclesia, the summoned ones, would be all about. The summoned ones would see Jesus in a way that maybe those that gathered down at the Tower of Babel, the evangelical church, they're not seeing him at all. So we're, we're part of an emerging group of people. We're part of an emerging group of people that are called out ones. That's normally what how we define ecclesia is called out ones, but it actually is a summoned. It's a summoning. It's a it's a it's a drawing, a pulling of those that then meet in one one particular place. So I'm going to do this in two parts. I'm going to do part one this morning, part two next Sunday morning, and we're going to look at what I think this new ecclesia is all about. So this morning, I'm going to look at bad news religion. And then next week, we're going to look at the good news gospel. Okay, fair enough. But I, I, want, I want you to listen carefully this morning because I want to make sure 
that we flush everything out of us from the old. The wineskin that's going to get the new wine has got to be totally depleted of the old wine. It's got to be massaged with some oil from the Holy Spirit so that it remains flexible. It can expand. As we see more, we experience more. We can, we can drink that new, new wine in. So the ecclesia, this new ecclesia is based upon what I've been trying to say. It's based upon understanding and knowing by revelation the authentic, real Jesus and what he was about, his heart. The real grace-filled message of the gospel is personified in Jesus. The new ecclesia is going to be built on the revelation of what we see when we look in the mirror and we reflect that glory of him and we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, when we look back at, at authentic Christianity, that word Christianity has been so used, so abused, so manipulated and beat out of shape that we don't really recognize it. But authentic Christianity, first century Christianity, was not a doctrine. It was not a set of theological beliefs. In fact, they did not, first century, they had no systematic theology. They, they had no New Testament that they could say, well, right there it says in the Bible, they had none of that. And that the Bible says they turned the world upside down with authentic Christianity. It wasn't a set of rules, wasn't a set of beliefs, theological positions. It was based on a person, Jesus. And it's that that real Jesus, that authentic Jesus, that's that's just emerging from all parts of the world today. We're seeing him as he is. We're seeing his heart. We're seeing his perfect reflection of the Father. It's, it's that Jesus that bad news religion has absolutely failed to proclaim. So this, this is an important message. These two messages that I'm bringing to you are extremely important as we look at the new ecclesia, because as you carry this message, this foundation of grace, revelation of grace, and then the pillars that we have built on that foundation of the universal fatherhood of God, of inclusion, unconditional love, mercy that endures forever, all on the basis on the foundation of, of radical, pure, hyper-grace as we carry that message into the world just by authentic living. And that's what, that's what the ecclesia needs to do. We just need to live our lives authentically, be who we are. Don't have to pretend to be something we're not, which we're going to get into in Matthew chapter 23 of, of what bad news religion is all about, is basically pretending to be something you're really not because you've been forced into that box of no authenticity. So as you move into our culture, you're going to find and encounter a lot of people that have been abused, they've been used, they've been rejected, they've walked away from bad news religion. Bad news religion in the New Testament is best, I think, uh, represented by the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. It's best represented today by the evangelical church. Both the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the evangelical church exist and revolve around strict rules and laws and regulations. The Pharisees and Sadducees had 600, the Mosaic, Moses' law turned into 613 laws, all in an attempt to enforce 10 commandments. And what we find in the evangelical church today is pretty much the same. They take, we've taken Ten Commandments, 
and then we've we've multiplied that out into multiples of laws maybe from good motivation to begin with i'm not going to judge people's motives but it's in an attempt to make us live a holy life that was reflected in the original 10. the problem is Nobody can keep all 613, and nobody can keep all the laws and the rules and regulations that have been posed on us by the evangelical church today. So what we've got now is Jesus has a message that he's delivering through the Holy Spirit to our world. And you're hearing that message. Not just here in the digital cathedral, but in your quiet time. Time you're driving down the street, you're minding your own business, maybe you have the radio on. All of a sudden, you're beginning to see things. You're beginning to understand things that you never heard or understood before. And you're taking that message into a world that, for the most part, has voted with their feet against religion. And what they voted against is the presentation of a father in a totally wrong light that has been angry, uh, oppressive, judicial, judgmental, and they don't like what they find there, and they're not going back every week to get beat. I think you almost have to be some kind of strange person, and I, I guess we all were, where we were addicted to that Sunday morning beating and condemnation and doubt and fear and guilt, and then the pastor would try to tell us how to alleviate ourselves of that. What, they're, what people are opposed to today, and they vote, they're, they're leaving the church and in droves, the, the, the lowest church attendance percentage-wise in the history of the world is happening today. In America, and I can't speak for other countries, but the, fir but the first time in our nation, less than 50% of the adults identify with a particular denomination. They've, they have voted against a church and a culture that speaks and represents itself as speaking for God, and yet the God that they're bringing to us is schizophrenic. One week he loves you unconditionally, and the next week he's going to put you in a customized torture chamber if you don't love him unconditionally back with the way that he loved you unconditionally the week before, and the only condition to keep you out of this, this torture chamber is you have to love him unconditionally, which is a condition. I'm not going to get into that. I got I get into that every once in a while because one of my one of my hobby horses, one of my pet peeves with the church, is we bring this God of unconditional love, and then we put all kind of conditions on it. You have to be obedient. Got to be dedicated. Got to be committed. You have to tithe. You got to do all these things to earn unconditional love. The real Jesus, the authentic Jesus, the one that we're seeing today, the one that is revealing Himself so strong is the antithesis. He's the direct opposite of what you're going to hear about in most churches on Sunday morning. There is a new ecclesia that is emerging. There's a new ecclesia that is arising. When you encounter unchurched people or ex-churched people, which is what most of us here at the Digital Cathedral are, unchurched people are people that have no church, in their area that they that they feel you know teaches what we we do here at the Digital Cathedral or other places, a pure grace, radical grace, hyper grace, love of God, inclusion, the whole nine yards, everything that's being being dis disclosed on a continuing deeper basis. That's what excite. That's what cranks my engine, brother. All these things that we're seeing, it's like now the Spirit of Truth is just unwinding it deeper and deeper and deeper. 
In fact, the scripture says each one of us has been given grace. Check this out. Each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The bigger, we, the bigger measure we put on the gift of Christ, the more we see about him, the more grace is disclosed to us and the more freedom that we actually walk into. You don't hear that message in a church. So when you encounter unchurched or, or ex-church people for the most part, you're going to find that they're totally turned off. Most of them want to hear absolutely nothing about, about uh, God they want to hear nothing about what your theology is. They're uninterested. And in some cases, I encounter people that are actually violently opposed. They don't want anything to do with church. They, they, they don't want anything to do with the God that was presented at that church. Absolutely want nothing to do with preachers. They see them as hypocrites and two-faced. And there's good reason for it. We're going to get into it this morning on this bad news, bad news gospel, bad news religion. People that claim to follow Jesus, why do they feel that way? One of two reasons. Either they have personally encountered bad news religion with all of its legalism, all of its rule keeping, all the manipulation, all the control, and they've said that's enough. They've at least had enough light to say this is not where I want to go. This is, this is not what I bought into. Or they've known or heard about those that have. Now, what I find interesting is that people still have a spiritual interest. There's still, there's still that something in them. It's because they're in the image and likeness of God. They may not know it, but they're in the image and likeness of God. So there is a spiritual dimension of them that does pique their interest. And many people have expressed to me, look, I, I love G. I still love the Lord, man. It's just his followers that have driven me crazy. It's the system. It's that religious system. So Jesus spent, and we're going to unwind it this morning, Jesus spent a lot of his earthly ministry confronting a religious system. And I noticed that he, he grouped them. He called them Pharisees or Sadducees or, or scribes. He wasn't, he wasn't against the individual person per se because he recognized that the person was a product of their system. And the people that you encounter that are so turned off, that want nothing to do about it. Or they're so strict, they're so set in concrete with their beliefs that they're not going to hear anything else. They're the product of a system. Pharisees still roam the kingdom today. And the Pharisees today are looking to do the same thing that the Pharisees did in Jesus' day, which is to snuff out the authentic Jesus. First century, there were, Paul had to deal with the Judaizers. Paul would come in, teach grace, teach inclusion, unconditional love. Judaizers will come behind and say, well, that's okay, but you still need to be circumcised. You still need to keep the law. And that's what's going on in churches today. They say, yes, we're grace. They got grace on the outside of the building. We're grace Baptist, grace Methodist, grace Presbyterian. But once you get in there, there's a whole lot attached to that grace. So it's not a, not a pure grace. So Pharisees are still trying to do today and I think the best form is the evangelical church. They're still trying to snuff out anything that would bring that freedom that you're experiencing and you're carrying back into our culture. Think about Jesus' ministry. I mean, he, he ministered such an interesting group of people. He was, he was continually reaching out to those that were vulnerable, 
to those that had, I mean, enormous needs in their life. Either they were possessed by devils, which I think in most cases were uh, mental illnesses or other physical maladies that they just put off as demonic. Um, you know, if a person is epileptic, they would have called that a, a demon, and some still do today. They come against that spirit of ep epilepsy. You know, that's not authentic Christianity at all. Even those that Jesus reached, they, they themselves could clearly see that they had a need and they put themselves in a place where the legalistic bad news religion had rejected them. You don't find any thieves. You don't find any prostitutes, lepers. You don't find the poor, the sick, the down and out the weak, the disenfranchised, hobnobbing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there are very few of those that are in the evangelical church today. They say they welcome them in, but as soon as they come through the door, they're not accepted. They're put over there. They're not like us. Jesus, with those thieves and prostitutes, disenfranchised, those that recognize they needed tremendous help in life, he started a rebellion with those people that nobody else wanted. The church did not want. The church that day did not want them. And they were easily reached. They were easily reached because they were not legalistically indoctrinated as religious insiders. And that's a, boy, that's a strong message for today. The people that are, are susceptible, open to the message, to the life that you're now living, to the freedom that you enjoy, are not gonna be the people down the church. The hardest people to reach with, with what you and I are seeing with grace and mercy and inclusion and love, the whole, whole thing, unconditional forgiveness, already been forgiven, don't have to pray and beg and plead God to forgive, already been forgiven, we see that. The hardest people to reach with that message is church people. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because they have been indoctrinated into a system. And there's a new ecclesia that is arising today while this other one is crumbling. This is beginning to rise. And at some point, this is about as prophetic as I get, at some point, that crumbling and the arising, the arising is going to surpass the crumbling. I'm not saying there'll never be a Baptist church or Presbyterian church. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the evangelical church is going to be erased off the planet. But what I am saying is, that the impact on our culture, the impact on the lives of people is not going to be is not going to be wielded by institutional Christianity as we've known it. It's going to come from this ecclesia, this church that Jesus said he would build upon the foundation, the revelation of who he is. Not our theology, not our beliefs. It's okay to have beliefs, okay to have theology, as long as you keep it fluid and you're willing to adjust and shift as you see more and perceive more. Jesus devoted almost an entire chapter of scripture to bad news religion. And I wanna I want to look at that chapter this morning in, a, in just a little bit of depth. The hardest people to reach, remember, are the people that are in church because they know everything. They got it nailed out. They got it boxed up and they're secure. That's where their security is. Their, their tickets punched to heaven, they feel. They're believing the right things. Uh, the rest of the world doesn't really matter. If you want to come in and conform to us, that's fine. 
but there, when you're in that position, you're extremely hard to uh, open the eyes of. But that's what you and I are dealing with. But the good news is, we don't have to open our eyes. The Spirit of Truth is the one who opens them just like He did you. The Scripture says it will happen, each man in his order. In the divine plan of the Father, He's got a plan where we all will eventually bow knee, confess Jesus as Lord, not because we have to, but because all of a sudden the illumination and the light is going to be flipped on for everybody. But Jesus devoted a chapter, almost a full chapter, to to this bad news. I, I know don't know what else to call it, but bad news religion, bad news gospel. And I'm not throwing stones this morning. And uh, but I think we need to allow the words that Jesus teaches us in this 23rd chapter of Matthew. To penetrate our hearts I'm I'm very opposed to a system I'm never opposed to people I'm hard on religion I'm very hard on religion I have a right to be I devoted most of my adult life to a religious system it's only been the last 20 years a little over 20 years that I've been out of that system and seeing things I've I've never seen before and it's still unwinding it's still unfolding to me I don't usually go negative. And I guess in one re respect, you could look at this teaching this morning and say, well, that's somewhat negative because I'm going to expose. And the reason I'm exposing this is because I want to make sure as this new ecclesia rises, of which you and I are, are, are intricately bound to, it's part, it's part of our life now. The way that we were constructed, the way that God wired us, was that when the right time came, you came to the kingdom for such a time as this. And in this time, because of your personality, your temperament, your likes, your dislikes, you're able to see what other people are not seeing yet. See, legalism says this. It says, because God is mad at you, angry at you. Now, you and I are, are, are beyond that. We know God's not angry. We know he's not mad at us. But legalism, and this is where most people are still stuck. They say, because God is mad at you, then your only hope is to try to atone for your evilness, for your sins, for your edemic nature, for the bend you have toward wrong. And so you spend a lifetime in works trying to appease this angry deity who's more like Zeus or Molech than the, than the Father Jesus demonstrated and represented you spend your entire life trying to please him so that when you stand before him one day he'll give you a thumbs up but you'll never know till you're there so you got to keep working at it so in this 23rd chapter of Matthew I'm going to point out seven eight nine things depending on how much time I have I want to point out some things to you that the new ecclesia as it rises you're going to see crumble now most of these you're going to be able to recognize from your experience that you had in church and back in religion. So let's go over here to Matthew chapter 23. We read from Matthew 16, so we'll come over just a couple of pages to the to the right to Matthew chapter 23. And I'm just going to kind of tick this verse, this chapter verse by verse. A few times I'll take a chunk, but I, I just want to point out some things this morning that we need to make sure do not creep back into our lives. All right. We want to make sure this does not arise because this new ecclesia, man, we we have the we've got a blank board and we have the opportunity to write on that board what we want 
as this breaking wave takes place all across the world. So it's good stuff. All right. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying this. So he's, he's giving the multitudes and the disciples some insight about bad news religion. So this morning I've come to the digital cathedral and I'm speaking to the sons, the daughters. I don't really think we're, I, I don't like disciple anymore. I'll, disciple's a disciplined learner, I can go for that. But I, I'm not sure that's our right identity after the cross, I think we're sons and daughters. So I'm coming to the sons and daughters like he went to the disciples and he's gonna teach them some things that they wanna make sure they stay away from and that they don't wind, intertwine back into what he said in uh, Matthew chapter 16 about the foundation being the revelation of who Jesus is, making sure you see him accurately, making sure you see him as he really is, because that's, the, that's how you're gonna be transformed. You're gonna become just like the Jesus you see. So the more Jesus you see, the more grace will be given that you can see more. To those that have been given much, much more will be given. So all the revelation that you have, he builds on that exponentially. So he comes to the multitude and to the disciples and, and says this, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So they, they're sitting in the seat of judgment. They're sitting in the seat of saying, you're right, you're wrong, you're in, you're out. You got it, you don't have it, right? So he's saying, that's, that's where they're at. That's their position. They're coming at you from a position of authority that you cannot challenge. Does that sound familiar? You can't challenge them down at the church. Can't, you don't dare question the pastor, the elders. You don't dare, dare raise uh, an idea that might not be already, full, already in the statement of faith. And then he, he begins to talk about those who sit in the seats of Moses. Those that sit in the seats of authority, seats of judgment. He said, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not. So let me just say, number one is this. He's, Jesus was saying they're hypocrites. Hip, being a hypocrite is a major mark of bad news religion, and it's a major mark of church today. And I'm, I'm, let me just explain why that happens, because nobody sets out to be a hypocrite. Hypocrites insist on impossible standards which they themselves cannot satisfy. The entire church system right now is set up on perfection. Now my, my background, my particular background, it was called entire sanctification. You were saved and then you were sanctified. See, you were saved, but then the sanctification was to, put, was to challenge you to be in this position of perfection. The definition in, in my old denomination was this, sanctification is the second definite work of God's grace, whereby inbred sin is removed from the believer, imparting to him the power for life and service. So the, the perfection, nobody's perfect. And so we were, but because that was the standard, we had to present ourselves and even convince ourselves that we were walking in some level of perfection. And if you fell off of that perfection, then you needed to go back and get born again and then get sanctified again. Now with other groups, it was baptism in the Holy Spirit or 
dedicating your life. You know, you get saved and then you dedicate your life to the Lord. And when you mess up, you rededicate. I don't know about you, but man, my rededicator got worn out. My sanctifier busted. They say, but they do not do. Religion forces us to pretend to be what we aren't because there is this standard of perfection that is imprinted on people from leaders. But the leaders aren't perfect either. They, they say, but they, they're not able to do. Hypocrisy comes when we say, but we're not able to fulfill that which we say. Let me say it like this. There's a lot of good-hearted people in church that are hypocrites that don't mean to be hypocrites, but they cannot live up to the standard that they profess. So they have to appear to be, they have to appear to be perfect when you go to church. You ever, you ever hear about people that are one way at church, another way when they're out in the world? That's hypocritical. But when they go to church, they feel, they feel manipulated, feel controlled that I've got to put on this air of perfection. What grace does, it allows us to say, I am what I am. And I'm, I'm a, you know, the Father's changing me through grace, which is a divine influence that's bringing effortless change in my life as I rest in him, as I bask in his unconditional love, as I know that I'm included, as I tap into that mercy that endures forever, that is new every morning, it's changing my life, not through my efforts, not through my discipline, not through my rule keeping. So therefore I can say, I can say here, at the Digital Cathedral and tell you I am not a perfect person. I'm not. I don't profess to be. Now there was a time in my life when I would have not have stood before people and say I'm not perfect. I might have said that, but in reality I was presenting myself in perfection. Pastors are pushed into that place of being something they're not. For fear of retribution, if we're not if we're not perfect, then we're that we're facing a retribution from a God that we think demands perfection, and a God who will not even be around sin. He 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 just turns his back on all kind. He just separates this omnipresent God separates himself from sin. That's impossible. It's a it's a contradiction of terms. We feel forced into a box. And it creates frustration, and it creates discouragement. I was talking to a man the other day, and he said, "You know, I went to church. I did everything I knew to do, but he said I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't live it. I couldn't perform up to that level. So I just said to hell with it, and I walked away from all of it. And he said, I'm probably going to burn forever, but I, I, I just I can't be perfect. And that's what bad news religion impresses on people." See, it's, it's our own inability to meet the demands of leaders and the pastor and whoever is in charge to be at a place where we really can't be. So that's the first mark, bad news religion. So as this new ecclesia arises, you know what? We don't have to be that way. We don't have to act one way, pretend like we're one way when in reality we're another. You can be yourself. Wherever you're at in the journey is cool. It's fine. It's good. He has you exactly where he wants you to be at this particular time. And as you, as you learn to rest in him, let him do the work without your efforts, you're going to see the changes take place like you've never seen before in your entire life. Watch verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves 
will not move them with one of their fingers. They don't put near the effort in that they expect you to put in. Religion requires heavy burdens on people. And then they, they excuse themselves from such burden bearing. It's manipulation and it's control at its religious best. What this new ecclesia is not going to do, which the church has done, is lay on people heavy financial burdens, time burdens, performance regulations. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. Submissive, being submissive and obedient to leadership. That's, that's a heavy burden that you have got to do what leadership says. You've got to be covered by, by leadership. When the leadership themselves are not covered, they're not submissive and they're not obedient to any other man. And yet they're requiring you to be. It's in direct opposition. Those heavy birds. What did Jesus say? He, Jesus said, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So where did we get all of these hard things that we have to place on people? All right, let's, let's read on. Verse 5. This gets good. But all their, all their works they do to be seen of men. They make their phylacteries broad, right? And enlarge the borders of their garments. So what, what is he saying here? He's, he's saying they love the attention of the world and they play to the crowds. We create platform superstars. And that's what these Pharisees and Sadducees, they, 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 they went and, and held themselves in such regard they wanted everybody to notice them. And, the, and what's been passed down is that people today defer and heap accolades and honor on their religious heroes. And that's what the Pharisees were trying to get. They were trying to get people to set them on a pedestal, to see them as this righteous, holy person. And I don't know why, I don't know how it ever started, but religion today, evangelical Christianity, and I noticed this more and more, more than any place else when I came over among charismatics, is they were setting men on places, they were building superstars out of men. I could name, name names, so I'm not going to name any names. If you have traveled charismatic circles, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it might happen. It happened to Paul in the 14th chapter of Acts. You can read verses 11 to 15 because Paul and Apollos were out there doing the work, just being the servants of God. They, were, they put these guys on a pedestal. They said, the gods are among us. And Paul had a rebuke, said, don't do that. No, 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 no. We're just men like you are. How many, how many uh, TV stars have you ever heard come on and say, look, don't, don't put all this out. I'm just a man like you. I'm just a person. I'm a human. It's, it's like we have, we have pulled this into ourselves. Jesus' aim is at those leaders who allow and encourage the pedestal setting. And there are leaders that do that. You, 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 you normally hear about, don't put me on a pedestal. But then they turn right around and allow people to almost deify them. Like they're, they're, they're somebody that nobody else can ever be. They've reached such a magnitude of, of uh, financial success in a ministry or so much revelation or they're able to blow on a crowd and everybody passes out. 
And if you've been among charismatic circles, you know most of that's just a show. It's a dog and pony show. The new ecclesia that is arriving does not draw attention. There's no superstars in what God's doing right now. Have you noticed that? There's no really big names. Even the, even the people that we, we know, and this is one thing I really noticed when I came over among the grace people. I was used, as, as a charismatic, I was used to having speakers in that wanted special treatment. They wanted certain hotel rooms. They wanted uh, a basket with certain snacks and fruits in it. They wanted to be picked up in the airport with a limousine. I've been asked to sign contracts for X number of dollars for the weekend services. Uh, I, I could get into a lot. I'm, not, I'm just not going to. When I came over among the grace guys, I, I, I've had everybody in my church, Francois, Baxter, Steve McVeigh. Uh, I've had all, all the guys in that you, you recognize as forefront. And I can tell you something, man. They are all the most humble, easy to work with. Paul Young, I mean, they're just great guys and gals. And they don't demand anything. When I met Francois, he was coming to the States and working in home meetings. 10, 15 people. I think my church was the first church in the States that he had entrance into that had several hundred people sitting there. No, he'd never been in a church like that. He wasn't accepted. I had him, I've had him several times. And the man, is, he and his wife Lydia are just precious people. Uh, you know, I'm good friends with Malcolm and Steve. Those guys, what you see is what you get. So as this new ecclesia arises, there's not going to be the superstar. There's not going to be the attention getting that we've seen in the evangelical, the charismatic, the Pentecostal circles, Baptist circles, that has, has, is crumbling. People are going, wait, wait a minute. Something's wrong with this. All right, let me just go. I've got to hurry because my time is getting away from me. Let's read down. Let me go verses 6 to 12. Verses 6. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace. Oh, this, they just love to be recognized. And to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Remember that. But you do not, but don't, you do not be called Rabbi. For one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. The one is your father who is in heaven. And do not call, be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's he saying here? He's saying that these Pharisees loved titles. They love to be called rabbi, rabbi. Uh, this title thing has got to go away, you guys. I, I think on Facebook right now, I have about 30 men that call themselves apostles. I have about to say maybe a few more that call themselves prophets, right? They, we, they love titles, love scholarly achievements and academic degrees. And you know, I'm not against academic degrees or scholarly achievements. I'm the president of a seminary. But that doesn't mean that that's, that's something that we put out there. I, the title reverend, I, I get so tired of that. Apostle, prophet, bishop. One guy the other day said he was cardinal. I go, are you kidding me? I have a doctor's degree. I don't put doctor on anything. 
when I started the seminary, some of the men I was working with says, you need to go ahead and use the doctor because you're president of a seminary. Kind of expect it. But I've gotten away from that. I, 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 Reverend, you never hear me call Reverend. I don't call myself pastor. Other people give me, if, if you're going to get a title, let other people give you the title. Let me tell you this. If a, t if a title is more than a job description, if you got to put title on your business card so that you get some recognition, that's a flesh pumper upper, my friend. That's just, that's just stroking the flesh. And it doesn't amount to a hill of beats. The new ecclesia that's arising is, is going to be void of titles, even though they may be a doctor or a bishop or an apostle. It's just a job description. Apostle's job description. A bishop is a job description. It's not something that we flaunt and put in front of us. And this, this new ecclesia that's arising, you're not going to see much of that. Oh, my goodness. I'm 44 minutes in. I'm about halfway through my message this morning. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Oh, this is a big verse. In other words, they're setting up the criteria for entering the kingdom. They're setting the criteria. They're saying you can go. It's like they set a toll booth on an expressway, and you have to stop at the toll booth and pay the toll to be able to enter in. It's a, it's a, it's a, it, there's a price to it, whether it's spiritual price, financial price, whatever, a condition, a price of admission, a stipulation. And they set that up. They were the gatekeepers to the kingdom. You're in, you're out, you can come. You can come in, you, you can't come in. Let me sure my microphone's on. He said, that's not going to happen. That's, that's bad news religion, and it's not taking part today. I have a way for you to enter. You don't pray my prayer the way I say you pray. You can't enter in. You don't repent the way I say you need to repent. You can't enter in. You don't walk my line of doctrine. You're on the outside. Jesus, Jesus never told us to make those kind of converts. He said make disciples. Old covenant. New covenant, we walk in sonship. See, our, my main thing is to get people to follow Jesus, not convert them. One thing I, I make sure I do not do at the digital cathedral is try to make a convert, a spitting image of myself. It, Jesus goes on to say, you travel over land and sea to make one convert. When you make one convert, they're worse than you are. That, that addresses the evangelical church perfectly today. They have huge missionary bu budgets to send Americans to other countries to convert people to Arminianism or Calvinism, whatever their flavor of evangelicalism is, and when they get them converted, those people are, are, are more legalistic than the one who took them there to convert them. All right, let me go on. Verse 20. Let's drop down to verse 23. i got to just hit the tops out of this. I think you're getting the message this morning. Jesus is taking this chapter, and he's saying, look, this kind of religion cannot fly. It's going to rise, but it will not last. In fact, it was totally destroyed in 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. Animal sacrifice was gone. The whole mosaic system crumbled in, 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 in what one short spell. Mark my words, you're going to see the same thing take place with the religion today. In just a short period of time, as it, when, when it begins to crumble, it's going to fall like a house of cards. And this is my job, is to be part of the new ecclesia, get you ready to be part of that new group that is arising all over the world 
And as it, as it gains momentum and it gains numbers, you're not going to be disenfranchised anymore. I know it's been lonely. I know many of you say, man, I need fellowship. I need to be around people. Let that hunger grow. Because the more people that are in your area, pretty soon you're going to begin to see house groups spring up of the new ecclesia. That's not going to have uh, Mr. Ph.D., uh, seminary graduate to have to lead it. Now, it's good to have PhD, good to be seminary graduate, but that doesn't give you the right to be anybody's leader or teacher. The Spirit of Truth selects. Spirit of Truth opens eyes. Spirit of Truth guides us. Okay? All right, where are we at here? Let me, let me just uh, hit verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and common and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he's saying it's okay. You know, your little ritual's okay, fine. But you're escaping. You're not, you're not putting the priorities first. You have distorted values. The, the church today, the evangelical church, has distorted values. It has an obsession about money. And it has to have because it has these huge budgets. Brother, I know because I've been there. I've, ha I've had a budget where I, I needed you know, $20,000 a week to come in. And that's not as large as, as a lot of budgets are. But I need just to function. You don't think that's going to make a, a difference in the way that the pastor approaches people? Do you don't think that distorts his, his understanding of the tithe? Then he goes on in verses 25 to 28. I don't have time to read it. But he says, the Pharisees emphasize externals. They wash the outside of the cup while the inside is dirty. That's the beautiful thing about the thing you and I are into right now. This grace grace tsunami it's changing us from the inside, not trying to force us by behavior and uh, uh, rules from the outside, thinking it's going to change us on the inside. It never works that way. You were not designed to be changed from the outside in. You were designed to be changed from the inside out, and that's what the new ecclesia is going to emphasize. Purity of heart, motive, love of Jesus, reflecting that. See, these obsessions, I can, I can walk into a room and I can pick out the Word of Faith guy. I can, I can pick out the Holiness Pentecostal guy. I can pick out the Fundamentalist Baptist just by the outward forms that they have taken on that they have felt so valuable. All right, let me just read one more verse, verse 34, and I'm going to start, start to land this plane. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets. He's saying to the Pharisees, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Now, listen. God's calling you to break out of that religious mold. And for the most part, you probably are. I think religiosity is not too prevalent here at the Digital Cathedral. But as you come out of it, it, it some of you have been amazed. <laughs> you've been, you've been uh, shocked at how people have now neglected you, rejected you. You probably have been nailed to a cross and probably been beat with a cat and nine tails. But you, they, they have tried to silence you. They've tried to belittle you. They've tried to make you feel less than what you know that you are, which is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
Religious people, you might as well just buck up to it and, and cowboy up, as we say in Texas, and understand that religious people are the meanest, the cruelest, the most vicious people on the planet, and they will turn on you on a dime like the Pharisees turned on Jesus. Jesus was the guy they were looking for to come, and they didn't recognize him when he showed up. Evangelical Church today is looking for Jesus to come back, and Jesus has come back through you to them, and they don't even recognize it. You might just set yourself for that. They, they've lied about you. They've connived. And they did it about Jesus. Finally, Jesus, they, they crucified the greatest freedom fighter. They crucified the one man who saw, who saw God, no, no, no other prophet, nobody that they, they put on high esteem, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They, they never even claimed to see God. Jesus said, I'm the only one that has seen the Father. He was the only perfect reflection to walk the planet. And religion killed him. So when you and I come back, and we're starting to reflect the Father on a, on a continually growing, brighter basis, you can expect pushback from your family, from church, from friends. In fact, you're probably not going to have many friends for a while, but you're going to begin to make points of contact, points of light with other people that are the ecclesia like you are. You have been, you've been summoned, and you're recognizing that summons. Now, I'm going to finish this next week. I, I'm sorry it was kind of negative this week. I just want to make sure all this, all this garbage is flushed out and you know what to look for. You know what to see. Not, not to belittle it, not to judge it, not to condemn it, but just so that it doesn't subtly draw you into its, into its, into its hold. It's what we stay away from. Now, next week, I'm going to look at some marks of the new ecclesia. Right? So it's, it's just the other side of the coin that Jesus was talking about. Jesus said, scribes, Pharisees, I'm sorry, hypocrites, this is all the stuff you do. Then he began to teach us, he's taught us what the new ecclesia that's based on the revelation of Jesus, an ever-brightening revelation, what that looks like. So we're going to do that next week. Fair enough? Okay, so all the condemnation is gone. All the judgment is gone. All the feelings of manipulation, unworthiness, they're gone from us. We're free from all of that and we're walking in what the Father is now showing us through the Son in the Spirit. Amen? All right. I'm glad you're set free. See you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral, Wednesday night, Secret Place. If you're not a part of the Secret Place, you need to be. It's on the Don Keithley Ministry Facebook page. If you just come over and request uh, to be part of it. We'll be glad to, to let you. It's a private group, so you have to request membership. All right. See you next week. God bless you. Thank you for all that you do. And let me just say this. Father, I just pray your total blessing on those that are in the Digital Cathedral that are growing by leaps and bounds. Father, I pray that you would show them how this new ecclesia is arising and how they're an intricate part of it. Father, put your hand visibly upon us, and may we never doubt your omnipresence as we go from place to place this week. We want to go with a full consciousness, Father, of your presence in everything we do. We're listening to your voice. We've moved, Father, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we're now eating from the tree of life. 
only saying what you say and only doing what you do. Thank you, Father. We bless you. God bless you. We'll see you next time at the Digital Cathedral. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our Digital Cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.